Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today, we're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber about USC Spring Football. Kicked off yesterday, March 8th. Today, we're doing the show on March 9th. We want to get a little uh, recap of what happened in day one. And we're going to have a lot of questions to get to from people that have sent those in. So we're going to try to get to all those topics. If you have questions for us on the show, podcast at uscfootball.com or you can leave a voicemail a couple different ways call 641-715-3900 then dial extension 816-646 or you can go to our website peristylepodcast.com click on the left side of the page and you can leave a voicemail from your computer your your iphone your tablet whatever you want to do Um, you can also go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast you can subscribe to the show there you can give us a, a rating five stars would be nice you can leave feedback for the show. So it's a good way to propagate the show and let other Trojan fans know about the Peristyle podcast. We've been doing this, I think, eight or nine years now. And it's a big day. We got Dan Weber. So Dan's a little, you know, a little transition thing. We got Dan on a cell phone. I've got, I'm kind of building out my little office here at Redondo Beach and I got new soundproofing I put up yesterday. So maybe the, the podcast will sound a little different. So we're kind of a transition phase right now, Dan, on the podcast, just like USC is uh, transitioning into spring football in the Clay Helton era. Yeah, I thought a perfect, uh, you know, lead-in. I thought yesterday was a real transition day. Uh, much more serious, uh, I would guess. Much more, uh, like a classroom, uh, you know, on the practice field. I thought that was, I thought, you know, and I basically used it a number of different ways, setting the tone. And they set the tone <laughs> in a music-free zone yesterday. You can hear the, you know, the whistles and the coaching going on. You can see them stopping them and coaching up. And the important number was not, you know, did you run 108 plays today? Uh, it was how many did you run correctly? And with a lot of installation, you know, it was time to teach. So I thought, uh, you know, and they talked about the doing a lot of installation. And uh, I think that was, uh, that was the right Tone, I thought very much the right tone. It was definitely different with no music there. Um, that's just something we've been, you know, used to. And it was just kind of, it was like eerily quiet. And, you know, with the, the media and the fans are completely separated. Most of the drills, unfortunately, happened in like the far corners of the practice field. So it's hard for us to see all that kind of stuff. But the thing you notice the most, and I, I'm sure if you talk to some of the fans who've been out to practices before, just that lack of music, not you know, the music not being there. Well, you know, I think the thing is, there'll be plenty of music when you come down that tunnel, and when you're, you know, getting ready to play a game. But uh, practice is different. You don't need all that music and all. If you de- if you need that, probably you're not doing it right. If uh, if you need that in order to get yourself fired up and ready to practice, I, I, I tended to believe that was kind of a gimmick. And I don't think they need any gimmicks. You just need to get it right. And I think that's what, there's kind of a seriousness of purpose. I mean, 
for example, when you talk to Coach Neil Castro, they have to practice. And, he, you know, he was a little bit upbeat, kind of, you know, kind of liked their attitude and da da da. And then he realized, hey, I can't leave this business. I've got to basically come back and tell you, make sure we have a long way to go. So he could say something positive, and then immediately, you know, this team has, we've got a long way to go with, with some of the stuff we're doing. So you can be, you know, appreciative that the guys are out there and, you know, he, he likes some, it's interesting. He said he liked their attitude, but they need more effort. So that was an interesting combination of, you know, they have to learn how to have the right kind of effort. And, and that doesn't have anything to do with music. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So we do have a bunch of questions to get to. And I think some of it will talk about spring football. This first one in particular is one thing I was looking for. We talked to Coach Harvey Hyde on Monday, something he was looking for too. And Coach was out there for practice. Uh, so Rodney wrote in. He said, good morning, boys. I love the show. Been a USC fan since 1997. And I've been following you guys for the past few years. I love the weekly updates you give and love the professionalism. Find you guys way better. And then he's going to mention another uh USC podcast. We don't want to talk about that, but he goes, so thank you. (laughs) But thanks, Rodney, for that. Uh, my question is that now that spring practice has started, what does it look like out there? Does it look like a Kiffin Sark run practice or does it look like these boys are practicing like it's business, like it's the national title USC seasons? Uh, and now that there's depth, the practice is more physical and are they simulating more game physicality and speed? That's from Rodney. Well, I, I think it, it would be premature to, to talk about that because they haven't put pads on. Uh, and so I, I didn't think the emphasis yesterday was on physicality. I thought it was, it was a different kind of physicality, obviously. Uh, I think it's physical, for example, if you're really working with the linebackers to shed, uh, shed blockers and shed, you know, the, uh, using the bags, for example, the airbags and what have you and keep your lateral movement going and keep your uh, outside edge, for example, and that kind of thing. So there's a different kind of physicality. But, again, we didn't really see, and we're not going to see any, any hitting uh, until a little bit Saturday with the shoulder pads and that. But uh, um, Clay promised this will be a very physical uh, spring. He didn't just say physical. Very physical spring. So uh, check back in two weeks. Uh, and uh, we'll have a better a better fix on just that hitting physicality part of it. But uh, it was different. It, it, I think it will take a little while for us to figure out how to evaluate, you know, what they're doing. Because, again, it's not an emphasis on quantity. It's not uh, an emphasis on, you know, let everybody get all jazzed up. Uh, you know, let's save that for the game. And... Uh, so it, it, it'll take some uh, getting used to it, uh, and, and, and they will stop and teach, as opposed to that didn't happen very much uh, in recent years. So uh, uh, I think, think Ronnie, uh, ask your question in a couple of weeks, and, and we'll have a better answer in, in terms of probably what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, obviously, no pads in the practice, but, you know, and words are words, but that, that was what Clay Helton was saying. Um, he had a lot. I mean, it was a pretty long, we did a long instant analysis yesterday. So if you go, go to uscfootball.com, you can check out Dan and I talked a lot about the first day of practice. We have a, a great, 
uh, Spring Ball Central page up. It's got, we put up uh, like four videos last night from practice. So you can hear from every quarterback, uh, except Matt Fink. He's not available. Um, and all of our stories and everything is up on Spring Ball Central. They have the full uh, schedule. So you can check that out on the site. Um, but for the, the, he said there were, I don't know about cliches, but there was a lot of talk from Clay Helton. And one of the things was he talked about, uh, the four T's. So maybe you want to kind of give people yeah, a. That was great. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was terrific. Uh, and, and, and I really liked it. You could really understand it. I mean, the first T was technique and having, uh, you know, the ability to really do exactly what you're supposed to do on every play and get the technique right first. And I think he's exactly right. I mean, that's what practice is about. You know, getting that technique exactly the way you want that technique to be. And then, uh, the second thing was, um, uh, toughness. And the you know, toughness comes from, uh, from, uh, the discipline. If you can have the discipline, do it right every time, uh, that's a toughness. That's how Coach Callaway talks about it. Is that, 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 that develops a kind of toughness. And that's the kind of thing that you did see with the Pete Carroll. You know, Pete had a lot of, you know, pizzazz and, and going fast and all that. But when I talk to people, I tell them, one of the things I remember of the practices where when USC was on offense, the ball didn't hit the ground, that they were perfect. And that was technique. And that was what happened when they needed to execute a big play in a big game. They had that, you know, that confidence that their technique would carry them through. Uh, and that... Um, that that discipline would develop a, a mental toughness that will, you know, take over when you're in that, you know, in that, you know, third and third and nine or whatever it was at Notre Dame. Uh, the next thing was um, uh, trust, trust in what they're doing. Trust, basically, trust every, you know, you got to trust your teammates, you got to trust your coaches. Uh, and then the last was togetherness, a sense of, you know, we're all in this together. And I thought it was good. And when they did the final five plays and the defense, uh, you know, knocked the ball down on the last play and they win and they're just fired up and excited and, and, and the coaches have to run, you know, run a lap and I think it was interesting when they got finished with the lap, they got them all together and said, this is the kind of thing we all celebrate together, not just, uh, uh, not just the defense, for example. Um, so I just thought that was, that was really good. That, that you know, make the point that this is something for all of us to celebrate. Yeah, there was also a bunch of news, Dan, and like I said, we talked about about instant analysis, but uh, maybe kind of we can go over talk about some of the players that weren't able to participate yesterday. A couple guys who are, you know not sure about their status going forward too. Yeah, I mean we got uh, you know Scott Felix who's got a off the field personal issue, uh, personal issue that. They said they're working through, and they'll keep us informed as to, as to how that goes. He's on the roster, uh, but he wasn't in practice. Okay, so Don Hill has a week, I guess, off the field uh, team discipline violation, and he wasn't there. We don't know where that, you know, status of that one is. Uh, then, uh, let's see. Uh, injury-wise, I guess, uh, uh, Ocean Messina, tweaked uh, hamstring. They're going to let him really not do anything this week. He'll get the next week off the spring break. They expect him to be back and, and ready to go. He didn't look he didn't look like it was real serious at all. Um, then you have uh, 
I guess we had a couple of guys with Scepter, Taylor McNamara and Clinton Powell expected back, you know, fairly soon, maybe, you know, by the end of the week. Uh, and then uh, we had Leon McQuay with, uh, he's in uh, kind of a music uh, class, music major, and he needs one class that can only be, you know, taken at the same time as practice, so they're going to let him as a senior. He's one of 12 who can get their degrees if they finish everything up this uh, spring. So they're going to let him kind of do individual work. He got there about midway through practice. Uh, Dominic Davis, with, despite his track, he was there, you know, full go. Adoy came in in street clothes, and it looks like he's really going to concentrate on track and field for the time being. So I'm not expecting that we're going to get to see a whole lot of Adoy, uh, maybe at the, we'll see. And then, uh, Chris Hawkins. Uh, I guess the ankle surgery was a little more serious than they had expected. So he also is one of those guys that, you know, in the last, uh, uh, part of his, just basically got a couple of courses and he will get his degree. So, uh, I think they're going to let him really, he was there, uh, not really dressed to practice, but he was, he did get there a little bit late, uh, after treatment. But, uh, uh, I guess that's pretty much all of the guys as we know him, we, we, and then there was a guy who was there, Chad Wheeler, yeah. who comes in at 315 pounds, and uh, on on his six seven frame, that's where you want Chad Wheeler to be. Uh, that looks like you know, that looks like an NFL tackle. And this is a guy that you know had trouble, you know, getting a, a whole lot over 280 much of his career. So. Uh, so that was the good news, and uh, you know he apologized for you know that off the field incident, and uh, uh, he you know he looked ready to go. I mean he he gives you, and I, and I think they know that that three way competition, there's two starter spots at offensive tackle, and you got Jack Manor, Timo Doga, and and uh, Chad uh, going for him, and yeah, the left right hasn't been decided either. And so I think that's a really good thing, uh, going into spring. I thought it was interesting. Chad's listed at 280 on the spring roster. He's 315. <laughs> and Mama, and Mama is listed at 355. He's 320. So you have two, two guys on the offensive line whose weights are 35 pounds different from their actual weight. <laughs> now I'm not, I won't make any more comments. Nice. You missed by 35 pounds. Wow. A um, couple other names, too. Uh, Janie Harris is back. Uh, he's out there practicing. Oh, yeah. I talked to him at the L.A. Nike camp, and he said he was rip-roaring, ready to go. We weren't sure about good. Michael Pittman because he broke his collarbone not that long ago. And Oluwade Bedeku, uh, I forget what his injury was, but he had one uh, in January at the before the Under Armour All-American game. Right. But th- those guys were out there, too. So some some names that maybe weren't sure about that were out there practicing. Well, and Kalawali was there until 6 o'clock for a practice that ended about 5.40. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he was all by himself working. I mean, he was, man, if he, I mean, the first time you get to see him up close and watch his feet, for example, oh, my goodness, what an athlete, totally. I mean, I don't remember, I mean, I really don't remember a guy, you know, a 250-pounder, as a Morgan Breslin, Devon Kennard, Type guys, uh, I guess, uh, with, uh, oh gosh, uh, with, uh, with the Packers, uh, I can't think of his name from Detroit. Nick, 
Uh, oh, Nick Perry. Nick Perry. They type body types in athletes, and none of them have, I don't know, have the feet in the athletic quickness that uh, Elawali has. I mean, wow. He's just, he's trying to watch this go over the bag. I mean, he's just a guy that big and strong, shouldn't be, have, you know, have the kind of quick feet, the light, light footedness that he's got. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't see how you don't have him on the field for some things, no matter what. I mean, boy, he, he's got, he's so athletic, he's trying to blindfold him, he might, he might get a quarterback, or, you know, just, just by sound. I mean, he's really, uh, he's impressive. Let's, uh, let's go to Paul in Vegas. He said, I listened to Dan's evaluation of Sam Darnold, which prompts the question of, is Sam athletic enough to get on the field at the same time with Max? If Sam can run and throw, can he catch and block? Think of all the fun things he could do, uh, could be asked to do in a wide open offense. And why should this talent, this talented of a player sit on the bench the next two years? And do we have anyone on the coaching staff imaginative enough to figure out how we might use Sam in a versatile way like this. Uh, thanks, Paul in Vegas. And I, people have asked too, Dan, about the same thing about Jalen Green. Um, is there going to be packages for him? Do something there. You got a couple of athletic quarterbacks now that Green's moved back over. Uh, so maybe you can talk about both those guys. Yeah. I mean, I think you have, I mean, that they got right. I think with Jalen Green last year. I mean, they used him, uh, I think in, in effect. And one of the reasons is they completed three or four passes and, they weren't always to the designated, you know, guy that, that you had drawn up to play for, threw it across the field. I thought he showed great poise and, uh, you know, we all know he's got a great arm. So you've already got him in there. And, uh, uh, I think Darnold, he's 225 now. He looks like if he walked up to you and, you know, he said, I'm, I'm a linebacker, you'd say, oh yeah, okay. Or if he said, I'm a tight end, you'd say, yeah. But he does have that good, quick, again, like all along, he's got that, got that good feet. And uh, a lot of that was, I guess he's a leading rebounder as a senior at, at you know, San Clemente in Orange County. And he's a very competitive, uh, a very competitive basketball player. Uh, and he's just, he's, yeah, he's got really nice quickness. He, I mean, the first time we saw him in the summer up close and he would take off, uh, you know, if everybody was covered when they were running the throwing, you know, the throwing sessions, and he'd just take off and run. And it was, people were, you could tell the DBs were shocked. I mean, they did, or the linebackers. He just, he would run away from people. So he's got a, the ability to do that. He did an awful running in high school. I mean, I know the games I saw him play, he ran the ball more than he threw it, I think. Uh, he didn't have all, you know, the greatest wide receivers, but, uh, I would think, with the coaching staff and with the input, you know, from Tyson, and he, I think, is listening to everybody. With the input from Clay and Tyson, uh, and, you know, Tommy Robinson, I think, uh, I think they have the ability, I mean, to do some of those things. I just, you don't want to be, um, jack of all trades and master of none. I mean, you don't want to have too much stuff in there. You want to have stuff in there that you can really perfect and, uh, and perform when you actually have to have it, uh, you know, in, in, in a particular situation, because usually that's, that's one of those situations where when you really need it, you know, you, know, you remember, everybody remembers the, uh, the Michigan game in the Rose Bowl where they throw the, throw back to Matt Lyman and for a touchdown. 
And I think those are, those are the kind of things you have to have, but you have to be able to really execute them perfectly, you know, when you call them. So, we'll see how that goes. But I think, I think they, they're probably thinking along those lines. It's just a matter of how well can, how well can we coach it? How much time do we have? And, uh, what do we run it off of? And so it's not obvious. Dan, we got a question from our buddy Tarek. He says, in your opinion, does the personnel USC has right now complement Clancy Pendergast's defense more than in 2013 when he was a coordinator? And if so, why? Uh, no, I think, I think both of them, I mean, I think that was the big break when he came in in 2013. That personnel group matched what he wanted to do on defense. It was one of those, wow. I've got, you know, Deron Kennard can do this for me. I've got a Leonard Williams who's just, you know, who knew how good he was. Uh, and they had, they had, I thought all the pieces then. I think they've got the pieces now. I mean, I think they've got the kind of, you know, linebackers. And, uh, I mean, we saw them do, doing just little things yesterday where you really don't know where they're coming from and where they're, where they're faking and, and they don't come or whatever. And, Things that were a little more sophisticated than we, you know, than used to see for the last two years, and the kind of pressure that you could put on, you know, on people you're playing. But, but I think, I think the, the good news and the good fortune right now is the players you've got, if the D line is able to, you know, play that one one gap and then they're able to really get some penetration, which I think they've got a chance to be able to do. They've got some terrific bodies up there. Uh, without a lot of experience. But if, if, if he gets that, then they've got a chance. They've got a chance to be able to match up well with his, uh, with his, uh, defense. I think, again, you don't have any control over the personnel that you're going in, you know, but they're, uh, I think, it, I think they match up well, and I think they did in 2013. So uh, I think, I think there's good news there. We, uh, we got Reggie wrote in. Now he's wrote in a few times. We got a, well, a couple of them are for Harvey Hyde. We'll have on the next show. Um, but he's very into the Jalen Green thing. So we want to talk a little bit more about Jalen Green. He says every podcast I've heard, Jalen Green seems to be an afterthought at best. He is only mentioned because he plays quarterback. Uh, it was actually, he played wide receiver all last year. We, he just switched. So this was really his first practice back playing quarterback. Uh, no one seems to consider him a threat to do anything. Is this because at SC he doesn't fit the pro-type quarterback that SC's had in the past? If he's being moved back to quarterback, then he should be considered in a conversation of quarterback. Uh, I've heard someone mention that freshman Fink, that the freshman Fink, Matt Fink he's talking about, placed him ahead of Green. I don't know. We've never said that. I would not, I would definitely not do that. Uh, is it just the media yeah, being and, media? And that's when not it... the reality. He's not. Yeah. He, that, that's not the reality. I think Jalen's getting a real shot, uh, at, and, and, you know, has been in the throwing sessions. He's been, you know, the guy who's gone third. He's still got the ability, you know, to be a wide receiver. So he's always going to be considered, you know, a two position guy, even though he goes back to quarterback. So, you know, that, that takes you maybe being the first option. Uh, after Mac. But, uh, but I think he's next. And I don't think we're going to act like he's not in the mix. Uh, I think, because he is. I mean, you know, it would be unrealistic to act as if he's not in the mix. Yeah. And, and Reggie, he, he went on to say, 
Um, is this just the media being the media when it comes to black quarterbacks? Never seen a guy so disrespe- re- excuse me, disrespected by a podcast in the media. Give the guy a shot if he's going to play quarterback. And yeah, you know, I mean, I think for me, Dan, it was something where he was a, a last minute bring in by, uh, Sark when they needed to bring in an extra early enrollee. And he was, he had graduated early. So he was someone they could bring in. Um, don't know how much of a shot he was really getting a quarterback. They end up moving him to receiver. He got a couple throws or whatever during the season. Um, but you know, there's a, there's a stockpile of receivers right now. And there was only, you know, two returning scholarship quarterbacks. So it makes sense to bring them back. Uh, but I agree with you. I think he was probably the third guy in rotation. And if you look at him, he throws a really pretty ball, especially the deep balls. The issue I have is usually the shorter stuff. There's a lot of them that get kind of get their darts with the really short passes you need to touch on, kind of bounce some in sometimes. So I, I think that's something he's certainly working on. But that's, at least when I was watching him play quarterback, there were some really pretty passes, but the problem is there were some some really ugly ones too. Yeah, I, I think they would always tell you it was a, a, something of a consistency issue. And you might say, well, you know, if you're the third or fourth guy or you're playing mostly wide receiver, you're going to have consistency issues. And I think they realize that. But uh well, I think for, uh, you know, Reggie to reach for the, uh, you know, a racial, uh, part of, to that, you know, equation is, is just, you know, wrong. I mean, it's just, that's just not even, you know, any part of it. And he hasn't been, you know, for, for a long time. I mean, I think, you know, people can, you know, I mean, how far back he has to go. And, and certainly there was a time where, uh, you know, but not at USC very much where, uh, you know, the quarterback in the, um, famous, you know, game at Alabama in 1970, uh, USC had an all-black backfield. So uh, USC, you know, has not been a place where where you would ever say that that's any part of, uh, you know, should he be here or should he be here. And, and I, you know, kind of reject that in terms of, you know, the analysis or the evaluation of, of those guys is, is the exact same one that he'd get, you know, whatever, you know, you know name a race. It, it wouldn't matter. It's, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. It's funny that it hasn't, you know, when I was in school, like Reggie Perry was the quarterback for a while. Of course, uh, a little before me, Rodney Pete, like right before I got there. Um, but there was, there, I mean, lately though, there haven't been a lot, you know, African American quarterbacks. They've, they've recruited some, like the Jesse Scroggins of the world or Rocky Hines. I'm sure there's some others, but that's, uh, and then they've, they transferred out. It just never worked out. And, you know, with Jalen Green comes in. Now he wasn't, those other guys were recruited as quarterbacks. Jalen Green really was more of an afterthought. Like he was an add-on recruiting thing. So it wasn't like he was this quarterback. Normally quarterbacks are committed for a year and a half. That was definitely not the thing with Jalen Green. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's actually gotten more of a quarterback shot than you might have expected, uh, you know, for him, you know, the way he came in. So, no, I, I think they've really tried because they see, you know, the uh, the potential there. I mean, I mean, just the poison is when he threw that uh, cross, uh, you know, that halfback pass, and, and I guess it was an Notre Dame game where he threw it across the field, and, uh, you know, it was tremendous uh, awareness in a, in a great throw. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't go there. It's just not, it's not true. We got Jamal wrote in. He said, I noticed there was no mention of Jordan Simmons in the preview. Is this because he had an uncertain roster status like Scott Felix, or does this signal a return to the offense? His size and his experience as a senior seem 
reason enough to keep him on the defensive line mix with all the uncertainty, but I know guys aren't always a quote-unquote fit just because it looks good on po- on paper. Thanks for all the coverage, Jamal. Yeah, Jamal, I think uh, he's just such a natural offensive lineman. I think, uh, you know, he feels like he had enough time to let that knee heal. And, uh, when he got some hard work on it for a few practices in a row, the thing blew up on him. And he, um, But he came back at the end of the year, you know, and, and was pretty serviceable on the defensive line. But I think they thought, Heck, if he's a, you know, 100%, uh, he's an offensive lineman. And, uh, uh, you know, at 6'4", 325, and he's got he's kind of natural, uh, you know, stance and, uh, pad level and, uh, and good feet and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, I, I just think they thought, hey, that's his natural position. That's what he wants to play if his knee holds up. And he goes on to the next level. That's where he's going to play. So, uh, uh, so I think, I think it was all, uh, you know, more a case of, uh, just seeing what, where he could do the best. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, offensive line is, is where he could do the best. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see he gets a, you know, full spring in the summer and, um, gets to come back in the fall. I'm intrigued to see what that does to him. You know, he's, uh, he looks better than we've seen him ever. I mean, he's certainly seen walking around school and all that, and he just—he's in better shape. He just got a, you know everything about it is is different looking. So if that translates to to the practice field, that'll be great. What an addition he'd be. We have uh, Dan from 1962. He says we hear all the time about Pat Hayden going to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, but what current USC football players are excelling outside of football? We heard a little about Cyrus Hobby leaving football for a time to concentrate on his major. A few years back, I was in the emergency room at Kaiser Hospital in Orange County, and my attending doctor was Dallas Long, the Olympic shot put champion and world record holder in the 1960s. That's kind of cool. Other USC athletes have been equally out, have had equally outstanding careers, but we rarely hear about the scholar, the, the scholarly pursuits of current players. We know that not all will become NFL stars. I would also be interested in knowing how the football program supports the players academically. The uh, the insights into the USC football program by podcast presenters are greatly appreciated. Thanks and fight on, Dan from 1962. Well, that's a great question. It's one I, I, I love the answer in a lot of ways. I think one of them is the fact that there's a dozen guys that are within, you know, a class or two of getting their degrees this year and still could come back and play next year. Uh, so... They're pretty excited about that, and I think what they're doing with Leon McQuay. But I will tell you this. Years and years ago, I did a, a monthly column for a, uh, a physician's magazine geared to sports. And I had this idea. The Olympics were coming up, and I had this idea. I was living in uh, Philadelphia at the time. I had this idea. You could look up all the gold medalists from the Olymp- Summer Olympics who were physicians. Okay. So I go to look up the store for who, who the four are. There were four. This is the unbelievable thing. All four were USC graduates. It was like Tammy Lee, of course, the great diver. Uh, and then Dallas Long. So I called Dallas Long up. And as you say, he's working in emergency medicine. And he said uh, that uh, at a clinic at the time, 
owned by uh, a fellow who was just the president of the California Medical Association named Brennan Cassidy. And I said, Brennan Cassidy? I used to ride the Xavier with Brennan Cassidy. He and my, <laughs> his dad and my dad were like best of friends, both of them physicians. And he moved to California and never came back. I mean, he never saw him again. <laughs> but, uh, but Dallas Long got a degree, a dental degree, and then he went back and he got his medical degree. Wow. And he was the greatest shot putter in the world. And he was at the, uh, at, uh, Hall of Fame when they uh, dedicated the new, uh, new Heritage Hall. And, uh, I got to talk to him a lot. What a cool guy. I mean, he was, but he was, uh, an absolute, uh, superstar, you know, superstar. And, uh, but, uh, the fact that there were two swimmers whose names escape me now. There were four, only four at the time, only four summer gold medal winners who were physicians. And this is before I knew anything about USC much. Uh, but I still remember all four of them were from USC. Pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. And I think all four of them in Orange County. Wow. Uh, it's one of those weird things. Probably the USC doesn't take, uh, as much advantage as, as those kinds of distinctions. I mean, those are, that's just, uh, kind of unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. We got a couple of voicemail questions kind of. A little off the beaten path, but we'll uh, we'll tr- we'll do our best. Here's our first one for you, Dan. Oh, hold on, sorry. Let me. Uh... Um, I'm leaving a message uh, for Dan Weber. I was hoping he could just take a few minutes, just several minutes, to bring us up to date on the lawsuit with the USC coach. Uh, we've been following this right along, and I was hoping that he could give us an update. Uh, Thank you, Ryan, very much. Love the show. And uh, I know you don't like to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, you know, it's been going on so long, we're all quite interested. Thank you. Well, I can tell you this. Read the war room uh, Friday morning. <laughs> uh, really interesting, timely uh, uh, update on uh, on the Todd McGarris. I think they feel like it's in the California... Supreme Court at this point, which is <clears throat> Hail Mary for the, uh, uh, you know, for the NCAA. And so everybody's pretty sure it'll get bounced back and it won't take the 60 days that, it's coming up on the 60 days now, but it might not even take that long. And then it goes to, uh, it goes to, um, back to LA Superior Court. And, um, at that point, the, uh, Todd Mayor's attorney, you know, come up with the exact strategy that they want in terms of deposing and discovery. So, you know, they're going to depose every single person. I think of, of the eight people that voted that are still around on that committee on infractions, only one of them was deposed. Well, the other better get ready. And uh, from everything we hear, the NCAA has no idea what's coming. But they're just, you know, we've heard things like, they don't even know that the lawsuit's still going. I mean, that they're just kind of in a bubble and that they've always been able to extend these things and, and finally, you know, escape. And um, they're in a position and against a group of attorneys that that ain't going to happen. And uh, if you think the uh, Aaron Andrews verdict is a big deal, uh, 
Aaron Andrews wrote it probably such a template to Todd McNair that if I were Dan Terry, I'd be very, very wary of where this is going to go. This is going to get real, real difficult for the NCAA. And in a hurry. Still might take another year, but, uh, this is not going to be pleasant and it's not going to be pretty. But, um, they probably, they certainly deserve it. They're going to deserve everything they're going to get. And, uh, you just, it'll be a, another spectator sport. It might be more fun than watching the Rams. I don't know. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I, I have to go back and listen to the question again. When I, I assumed he was talking about Steve, the Steve Sarkeesian lawsuit and former coach, um, which is going to I, arbitration. I've already, yeah, I've already dismissed that one because <laughs> that one is for sure not going anywhere because of the arbitration clause. You know, you can say, well, I didn't read it or they made me hurry up and sign it. But if it says in there, you have to take it to arbitration, you got to take it to arbitration, which is what Sarkeesian and his lawyers now have agreed to do. So, so yeah, that's right. We got lawsuits uh, on top of lawsuits, but uh, yeah, if it's uh, if it's a Sarkeesian one, there is no lawsuit at this point because it's got to go to arbitration. We got one last one, uh, kind of a sad story. I'll play this one for you, Dan. Here you go. Hi, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. This is for either uh, Ryan or Dan Weber. On a serious note, I'm just wondering if either one of you saw the uh, video regarding former USC offensive lineman Chris Brimer who seems to be homeless and uh, destitute at the moment, was done by Kurt Sandoval on Channel 7. And I'm just wondering uh, if either one of you know of anything that maybe USC or the USC Athletic Department could do for this poor guy before uh, it's too late. Uh, I was played in the 90s. Uh, enjoy the show. Uh, appreciate your comments, and uh, fight on. Thanks a lot. Bye. You know, I... I, I didn't see that. Uh, I, I always liked uh, Coach Sandoval's work, so I'm sure he's a, a really good story. If you could send us some information, uh, you know, some basics that you picked up, uh, you know, from the story, and then, uh, Richard, and then we'll, we'll follow up on that. Uh, uh, I'm trying to, I think I remember seeing somebody wrote, a, wrote something about it, um, and, uh, didn't get enough of the details to, to make it something that says, okay, I've got, you've got to follow this up. But if you could send me, you know, some information, we'll definitely follow up on it and see what can be done, uh, you know, through USC directly and through, you know, some of the people who, you know, care a lot about USC and USC football. You know, I actually got to see that piece, Dan, so I'll give you a quick little deal. But he was, he was a midnight, I think he came in in like 95. And, uh, was undrafted free agent in 1999, played in, I think, a European thing. He signed with the Cowboys for like a practice squad deal. Uh, XFL, I think it was XFL, the Los Angeles Extreme. Um, but there's, you know, I, there's certainly some issues there. Uh, he, you know, ended up getting married and, you know, they end up getting divorced and he's gone through a whole lot of stuff. And from, you know, watching the piece, he was living at the time, Kurt Sandoval found him on, I think it was his parents' lawn. Um, and he looked like this mountain man with, you know, beard and everything. And his, his ex-wife was watching the video and she just couldn't believe, uh, what he looked like. But to, as far as USC doing something, here's my take just from watching the piece. I'd have to go back and look at it again a couple weeks ago, but it looked like it was something where there's a lot of people around him. There's a support system there and there's people that want to help. It was more about 
him really not wanting or being able to accept the help right now. So I, I think there's a lot of people there, um, you know, Richard that were, that were trying to help. If you saw the piece, I think, I think you kind of get that impression too. So, but we can, we can look at it a little more, you know, we could talk to Tim Tesalone sports information and see if anything's being done. But my, my general take was there were support people there. It just wasn't going to, he just wasn't accepting help. And, and if someone doesn't want to be helped, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, I guess it really has been a very difficult thing when, you know, people, you don't have the ability to maybe institutionalize people when they need it, you know, and get them that kind of direct help, and, and they end up kind of out and about on their own and unwilling or unable to, you know, understand what position they're in and how they get out of it and, how, you know, who could help them and all that. And, uh, and you know, there's... It's a really difficult problem, you know, not just in this case, but you know, it's a society at large, uh, and nobody's come up with a very good answer. Well, a lot of topics today, Dad. We covered a lot of different stuff, but I, hopefully people enjoyed the uh, little recap of the first day of spring football. It's always fun. Uh, it'll be fun to see him put some pads on and everything, but just to see a new coach and new philosophies and new ideas uh, coming out in the field. So it should be really interesting. I'm uh, looking forward to covering the rest of spring football with you. 14 more we got to do. Uh, but thanks, Dan, for coming on. It was great. I enjoyed it very much. And uh, I guess our, our big hope is they'll actually have some part of the practice in the area, the 20 yard line, <laughs> the 20 yards that we're allowed to, <clears throat> that we're allowed to you know, be corralled in. Uh, but, uh, we're challenging them. We think they are designing practice so it can be as far away from us as possible from yeah. our sneaking eyes. But, uh, <laughs> but this time, I think we're going to bring, bring some binoculars. I don't know that it's necessarily uh, anything other than <clears throat> this is places to practice. And uh, and so that's where, you know, the two corners are where the linemen go. And uh, it's shady, to be honest. Uh, one thing we're getting used to is you got that sun coming right into your eyes. Oh, and it's terrible. With the morning practices, we've forgotten how uh, how that, that sun comes blasting into your eyes. So uh, we're not dealing with, uh, you know, rush hour traffic in the morning or the slippery field, but uh, that sun is pretty uh, pretty strong. It's pretty brutal. It's all the, the trials and tribulations of covering the USC <laughs> football team. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they nor should they. Yeah. It's a little behind the scenes. That's what we got to do. That's what we're dealing with, people. So we're trying to do it. We're out there at practice every day. We had a huge team out there yesterday, actually, in practice. Uh, Dan, me, Gerard, Shotgun, Keeley, everyone was out there. Um, so hope you guys enjoyed this show. Thanks again, Dan. And uh, we will talk to you all next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real 
estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 